Our reading this morning is from John chapter 19, reading from verse 17. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, we have... Uh... In this particular passage now, of course, we have a story here with our punishment is on him, on our Lord and Saviour. We reach a time in the history where the price for sin is to be paid. Paul wrote in Romans 6.23 and informed us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. So we all know that a wage is what you are awarded for something that you've done. And sometimes we even get what we deserve. Jesus, however, did not get this award for something that he had done, but for something you and I have done. Let us now pray that we may fully grasp the truth of what we are reading today, that we may understand it and ponder it in our hearts. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we come to you to ask that you will indeed open our hearts wide to your message. That if we haven't fully understood this before, that this may settle deep in our hearts. Convict us of who we are, but rejoice in who we will be through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, in verse 5 or 16, we have, of course, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Well, let me remind us all, I guess, at this point in time, that Pilate had actually found Jesus guiltless, innocent, and yet he now hands Jesus over to be killed, to be crucified, no less. Let me just make something abundantly clear here. The killing of an innocent human being, a man, is actually murder. It is nothing less than murder, no matter what the circumstances are, which is also why Pilate is also makes himself guilty of sin, even though he did have good intentions, you might say, or he even washed his hands of it all, as we know. You and I are sometimes, no doubt also, full of good intentions, but we are still sinners. Let's never forget the truth. One good intention or a good deed even cannot never ever make up for our sins. And next, of course, we are now given two verses telling us Jesus was crucified. Just think of that. Two verses. That's all we get. Speaking of the death, crucifixion of your Lord and Savior. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is Aramaic is called Golgotha. He that crucified him and with him two others, one each side of Jesus in the middle. That is 30 word statement outlining the most heinous crime in history, 30 words. None of the four gospel accounts speaks to the horrific nature of the crucifixion and the suffering. God's focus was not indeed here on the physical pain. He did not want the gospel writers to focus on that. We do not know, however, that this punishment was actually so bad it was forbidden to be used for Roman citizens. It was absolutely considered just too cruel, too demeaning for a Roman citizen to be crucified. It was now reserved for slaves and for the worst of criminal offenders. What we are given, however, is some of the things that happened at and indeed during the crucifixion, and we'll come back to these events towards the end of today's sermon. But let me first jump, jump to verse 19 to 24. In verse 19, we are reading, Pilate had notice, a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate most likely used these words to irritate the temple leaders the man that had forced this situation on him and had succeeded beyond his expectations in irritating just those temple leaders. All the people in Jerusalem would have read this sign, no matter where they would have been coming from into Jerusalem at this point in time, they would have been able to understand them and read it in their own language. As we said in verse 20, many of the Jews read this sign, the place where Jesus was crucified, was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. See, whilst Pilate had no pure motive for doing it this way, 
but he actually got it right. And the chief priests, of course, reacted accordingly. The chief priest in verse 21 of the pre-chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate. Do not write king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Well, see, to them, this whole reason for this trial was that Jesus had made what they professed to be a false claim for him to be the son of God and making himself equal with God. 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. That is uh, pretty well telling him, tough luck. It stays what I have said. In verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares for each of them. When the undergarment remaining, the garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let us not tear it, they said to one another. Let us decide by lot who will get it. The soldier treated this like almost like spoils of war. And even this is totally within God's plan. This happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. It was always in the plan that this would happen. This was, we read earlier in Psalm 22, 18, even written around a thousand years before this time. And it is likely this may have been allured to by the Pharisees, as well as the fact that later they would also note that they would not break the legs of Jesus in Psalm 34.20, and they will pierce his side, which also is written in Zechariah 12.10. All of these things were prophecies written about Jesus, all parts of well over 350 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in every detail. These prophetic details were of the greatest importance to the disciples afterwards, no matter what the Pharisees had thought. The fact, of course, is that Jesus had fulfilled all the intricate details written about him, proving beyond any doubt that he was who he claimed to be, that being of the Son of God. Now let us go back to verse 18. We were told Jesus was placed between two criminals, one other side. And we also know both of these men joined in with the crowd around them to scoff at Jesus, mocking him for claiming to be the son of the Most High. We also know that one of those men indeed had a change of heart. Obviously, the Holy Spirit had entered him at this point revealed his true self to him, his sinful self, understanding how his sinfulness had placed him where he was and the innocence of Jesus, he also understood that. See, in Luke 2340, 23.40, we are indeed told, but the other thief rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we are received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. See, it doesn't matter who you are. 
or how good you may think you are. Every one of us have a need to recognize the fact that we are sinful. Indeed, a need of repentance, and we have a need of a Savior to restore us to God. For as long as you live, it is not too late to grasp this absolute truth as it's revealed to you by his Holy Spirit. And as we're also told in verse 42 to 43, and the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What incredible words for him to hear at that point. See, if you are in Christ, you will surely enter into his kingdom the moment you pass away here on earth. Carefully consider this as well. Even as Christ is suffering and dying, he finds it in his heart to forgive and give assurance of salvation to a man that really had lived a bad life. What an incredible love that he shows his people. Let me also make sure we are all fully aware of all such matters in the hands of God and God's hands only within his time frame for each individual. We can urge people all we like to repent, telling them, don't wait, implore them, accept Jesus into your life. We can do all of that. And we should, but it is still only God through his Holy Spirit that can actually move and change their heart to arrive at this miraculous place in their life. We read of no one having urged the thief to repent or recognize Jesus as God. There's none of that there. Everything that changed within this man's heart was changed by God alone through the work of his Holy Spirit. Furthermore, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. It is well known that the words flowing from the lips of a man as his life is ebbing on the cross can be incredibly meaningful. Even if a man is just dying, one of us, our last words probably is going to be quite meaningful. We have a case now where anti-vaxxing people that don't want the vaccination for whatever their reason may be, some of them have now gotten the virus and are on their deathbed and some have died. But on their deathbed, we also know that they've been calling out to the world, I wish now that I had taken the vaccine. It's amazing how wise we get when it all is to come to the end. Or as Thomas Hobbes, having spent his life trying to corrupt the faith of many excellent men, he exclaimed on his deathbed, if I had the whole world in my hand, 
I would give it to live just one more day. And he finished, I'm about to take a leap into the dark. What he had proclaimed to be wrong, he was now experiencing the fact that this is where he was heading. The whole world for just one day. Think of that. And here we are reading about Jesus, praying, paying for the price for your sins, giving you not just one single day, but he is giving you eternity with him in heaven. There are so many things we can read, the things Jesus exclaimed from the cross. We had in Luke 23, 34, where Jesus on the cross, dying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The mercy of our Savior on the cross. In Luke 23, 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, from the cross, a solemn assurance of a loving Savior. In Mark 15, 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We read that in Psalm 22, setting out the true nature of the atonement and indeed also revealing the deep anguish of our Lord. And then today's text in John 19, 26, 27. Dear woman, here is your son. And here is your mother. As Jesus is dying a horrific death on the cross, Jesus wants you to know that he's wanting us all to take care of each other. In Matthew 12, 48, Jesus declares, after having been told his mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak with him, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister and mother. Jesus had no animosity towards his mother when he said all this, but he did want all his disciples to understand the full meaning of indeed being a brother and sister in Christ. Our bonds are factually stronger than family ties, and we are to love one another unconditionally. And don't miss the point here, though. All this is being taught by Jesus whilst he is dying on the cross. His love and concern for his people has no end. His life was never about him. His, his life was about the Father's will. His life was indeed about atoning for us. His entire life was a sacrificial offering by God for you and I, for his people, a rebellious people, I might add. See, when Jesus commends Mary to John, he bypasses his own non-believing brothers and leaves Mary to the care of his beloved disciple. We get the picture of Jesus bringing into existence a whole new family based on his atonement. 
or as Mirano Ganji, a Canadian Presbyterian minister said last century, O Lord, bring into being the brotherhood of believers. He fashions the fellowship and the household of faith. This is the new society, which is not segregated according to race or nationality. It is not predicated on social standing, nor wealth, nor health. See, this family consists of those whose faith meets at the cross and whose experience of forgiveness flows from the cross of Christ. This is our fellowship, if we are truly Christ's followers. We need to also remember what Jesus taught us as a basis for all this. In John 13, Jesus told us all, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord God bless you all with wisdom to understand and a love big enough to care for each other until you are all with him in heaven. Atoned for by Jesus on the cross. May he bless you and keep you. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come before you. We come to thank you for your wonderful love, for all that you have been for us and will be for us. We thank you for this particular passage, Lord, that highlights the extent to which you had to go to bring us into a righteous relationship with yourself. Be with us all, Lord, by your Holy Spirit indeed. Strengthen our faith, our understanding, and our willingness to live a life that honours your name all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.